The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Foster, Senior Writer at Barron's. Thanks so much for joining us for another timely conversation. On today's show, we're focusing on ETFs, and it's my great pleasure to have Paul Kim as my guest. Paul is co-founder and CEO of Simplify Asset Management, which specializes in options-based investment strategies for advisors. Now, Paul has a long history in ETFs. Before founding Simplify, he was head of ETF strategy and a portfolio manager at Principal Global Investors. And before that, he helped establish PIMCO's multi-billion dollar ETF platform of fixed income ETFs, including Mint, Bond, and Zeros. Welcome, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's great to have you, especially on a slightly quieter Thanksgiving week. So thanks for, for making some time. So, you know, you and your team have been really busy. You launched your first ETF in September 2020. So I guess you've just celebrated your, your two-year anniversary. And it looks like you have about 25 ETFs uh, in the, I guess, the family and about $1.6 billion under management. So, you know, we're going to dive into details on some of these strategies and what you're hearing from advisors and investors. But before we do, I would love to hear your founding story because I think it kind of helps give context to the discussion. So why did you want to found your own shop? And I guess as the name suggests, what were you hoping to simplify? Um, I think simplify um, our founding thesis was that we're going to help advisors access alternatives um, things like hedge fund type strategies and structured products and relatively expensive vehicles um, in the past that took a lot of you know high minimums and high expense fees. And uh, new regulations came about in, around October 2020 that allowed ETFs to all of a sudden have very similar um, exposures and leverage and the use of derivatives to put it on a level playing field with hedge funds. And, and so I thought that was a very large opportunity. Um, and the ETF vehicle continues to be the preferred way for many, many investors to get access to uh, exposures and strategies. And it's still very early innings in terms of its development. So it was just a big opportunity. Um, I couldn't really get my, uh, at the time, former employee or employer to uh, you know significantly um, take that opportunity seriously and it was just an opportunity for for myself and my early co-founders to uh try try to uh provide that access great so let's just talk a little bit about sort of what you're sort of hearing and seeing in the market you know, just a few minutes ago we were chatting and you were saying that you're starting to see a little bit of a, a pickup in flows and it looks like maybe the risk on trade is is getting you know a bit more traction so just tell me it's been a kind of a rough <laughs> i don't know i say a few weeks a few months in the market but what are you seeing in the last couple of weeks that feels a little different yeah it's and it's a continue continuation of the sort of year to date right so everyone's learned at this point to uh, not fight the fed 
to sort of um, go with the direction of the Fed. And the Fed's been tightening all year. And for uh, at least a second time this year, there's a strong narrative of the Fed pausing or starting to think about pivoting um, and certainly seeing some of the delayed effect of tightening in the real economy. So I think uh, the market is starting to position itself for that recovery trade. Um, personally, I think it's a little bit early, but that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the hope and the narrative of, of, of pause or pivot starting to work its way into the market. Mm -hmm. You're seeing a lot of flows going into uh, sort of your risk on exposures, you know, your, your international equities, domestic equities, uh, bonds, credit. So I think there's a little bit of a mean reversion, try to buy a small dip here type of move going on. And, and you could see that in, in volatility coming down, credit spreads starting to tighten and equities slowly melting up. So I think that's where we are. I still, I still think there's a lot more uh, left in this tightening cycle and certainly the earliest bits of um, earnings revisions and things that are starting to drive down profit expectations, those haven't been priced into the market well yet. So I think there's a little bit more choppiness to a potential, you know, bigger drawdown ahead, but we're in this sort of calm period right now. So, you know, one of the narratives um, that we've had this year is on sort of the, the questioning of the death of the 60-40 portfolio. And, you know, many advisors and investors are still sort of locked into that 60-40 mindset, but some are starting to wonder if that 60-40 chapter, you know, needs updating and you know, bonds haven't worked as intended in a portfolio. So do you think there's an, another framework that may work better to help uh, in different environments, uh, like different kinds of strategies that may work better? I, I think you make a great point. I think uh, the bonds and equities portfolio, the 60-40 balance portfolio, has been such a wonderful framework for about four decades, right? We've enjoyed really since the early 80s, uh, sort of a falling interest rate globally. And so that, that gave any bond investor a tailwind of capital gains alongside uh, the bonds were diversifiers because they were negatively correlated uh, over those four decades with equities. So they, you got portfolio diversification, a decent income and capital gains along the way. And that, that sort of uh, reversed really this year as um, the Fed and then other central banks started tightening. And all of a sudden, we're seeing the opposite effect of that, where rates are going up. Uh, you can no longer rely on capital gains. In fact, you're starting to lose uh, capital by being in bonds. And plus, the worst, perhaps, is that bonds have become positively correlated with equities. So you, you're adding to your risk by owning bonds. Um, and so the 60-40 balance portfolio in that context, if you think rates are no longer going to be falling anytime soon, um, it, it becomes a problem. You need to find other ways to hedge or diversify your equity risk. And I think that framework uh, largely drives uh, investors to look into the alternative space, um, different sort of strategies where you could go long or short or take advantage of different risk, risk premium, like volatility or commodities. And, and we've been starting to see that uh, in the flows. Great. And I guess fairly recently, you've launched, I think, two funds uh, that are income strategies. And it kind of makes me think of sort of, you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know, everyone's sort of figuring out where can they get some, some income these days. So tell us a little bit about uh, the two funds. I've got the Simplify Stable Income ETF, which has the great ticker buck. 
and the Simplified Enhanced Income ETF uh, ticker high. Um, tell us yep. about those. So they're two of our several income strategies. Um, they're very new, so they have very little assets uh, so far. But um, basically, the thesis is uh, buy the safest uh, asset class out there, which are basically T-bills, right? You have very little interest rate risk and essentially no credit risk. And then over that safe asset, which is still generating, you know, uh, income in the 4% range, right, which is very, very attractive by itself, but overlay on top of that a little bit of option selling so that you, you have a way to generate additional yield. Um, and the options are in the form of a spread, which means they're very limited in what they could lose in any given time period. And that combination is an attractive alternative to credit funds, right? And credit right now still feels like we have a lot more downside left. Um, we haven't seen this sort of typical credit uh, cycle come through with defaults and recoveries. And, and so I think that shoe is still left to drop. And so hiding out in a place like buck or high, where it's essentially T-bills and a little bit of extra income without taking credit risk is a very, very, uh, we think a very attractive alternative to credit. Great. Uh, I definitely want to hear more about the ETFs. But before we do, I just want to remind the audience, if you do have questions uh, for Paul, please do submit them in the Q&A feature because I'll be sure to leave some time at the end to go through uh, questions. So I think I mentioned earlier, you know, two dozen or so uh, ETFs that you've launched. I'm wondering, uh, like, what was the biggest surprise in terms of uh, the products that you launched, you know, ones that either did spectacularly well or just kind of surprised you in, in some other way? Um, I'd say our, our uh, ETF CTA, which is a managed future strategy. Um, I'd, like, I'd like to tell people I knew it was going to be a home run, but it's hard, right? It's not true. <laughs> you don't know what's going to be uh, great. You don't know what's going to have the right environment coming out of the gate. And CTA is a managed future strategy that invests in commodities and rates. It could go long and short, and it relies on a very, very experienced outside uh, advisor who's been in this business for over two decades and has a strong track record. Um, and, and the thesis there is basically um, when bonds are not working, uh, trend is actually a very interesting way to diversify a portfolio. What is trend? Trend basically means things that go up will likely continue to go up and things that start going down are likely to continue going down. And, and you're trying to find that sort of trending exposure across different asset classes so that the whole package takes advantage of moves and different uh, exposures. And, and if you structure it the right way, it basically gives you a way to have negative correlation with equities, i.e. when the markets are selling off, this strategy can be short those markets. And therefore you could, you could, find ways to take advantage of falling markets. And, and when you have markets like you've had this year, which has trended very well, it's gone up and down, but it's been through, you know, relatively multi-month trends. It's been a very, very attractive market for that strategy. So the success we've had, we've raised over about $250 million in, in less than a year uh, and sort of being at the right place at the right time and helping clients find an alternative to, fixed income it's it's been sort of catching lightning in a bottle and it's been really fun so i have to ask you just because you know one can't open a newspaper or i guess a, 
uh, screen and see any news uh, that's related to crypto. And of course, you know, following FTX's spectacular collapse, it's just dominated the headlines. And you know, you guys have a, um, a an ETF that is simplified Bitcoin strategy plus income ETF, yep. and the ticker on that is Maxi. I'd love to hear your views um, on just sort of the crypto market, but also um, tell us a bit more about sort of the thesis underlying that ETF. Sure. So Maxi is a ticker that describes a Bitcoin uh, enthusiasts often call themselves Bitcoin maximalists because they think Bitcoin is the end all be all of currencies or crypto exposures. Um, so it's a play on that. I think we have a, internally at Simplify, we have a very divided view. Um, we have, you know, some of our, uh, very experienced, uh, very wise uh, um, sort of thought leaders who say crypto is a scam, it's a Ponzi, it's going to zero. And on the other side, we have uh, people who believe that, hey, look, if enough people value something and enough people dedicate careers or, or sort of their time and effort to something, it has value, right? Humans mm -hmm. give things value. And Bitcoin has stood multiple cycles and there's an argument for it being an alternative currency. There's, it's very limited. So if you truly believe in that movement and believe it to be a strong alternative to fiat or other ways of preserving value, um, there's a case to be made. And by the way, it's, it's, had, it's been the best performing asset class of the past decade. So, you know, it has that going for it, although that's in the rearview mirror. Um, so if you're going to get that exposure, we also wanted to provide that. But, you know, our trademark is adding income or adding hedging exposure. So for us, we wanted to take Maxi and on top of that, add a very attractive uh, income so that, you know, while you wait for your view to play out in, in Bitcoin, you could still generate income off it. So you don't have to sacrifice being able to pay or generate cash flow for, you know, day-to-day -day sort of expenses and livelihood, and you could still take a bet on Maxi. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the ETFs that really kind of caught my attention was the one that you uh, launched that was focused on healthcare stocks. And what was kind of you know, unusual about it is that it donates um, all of its managing profits to the Susan G. Komen um, research and, and outreach. And that's the Simplify Healthcare ETF, which again has this great ticker, pink. <laughs> um, just tell us a bit about that one. Like, uh, how did that launch come about? And what's the thesis there? Basically, it's a it's a healthcare portfolio um, that came about from a happy coincidence. Uh, in that, I know somebody on the Susan G. Komen board, um, and and got the rights to uh, use um, Susan G. Komen's branding and essentially create a nonprofit ETF. Uh, Michael Green, one of our colleagues, is very good friends with Mike Taylor who's a longtime hedge fund healthcare um, expert, and he has a tremendous track record, if not the, one of the best track records, and he's retired. And he basically uh, was able to donate his time and expertise in managing an ETF where all of the proceeds go to Susan G. Komen. And we've been able to donate $150,000 so far. Um, Mike Taylor is crushing his benchmark in pink. And so it's a win-win for investors. It's a great cause, and it's an example of what you could do um, in any industry if, if there are you know, people who want to give back to the world in a way, and this is our way of giving back. Wow, um, that's, that's amazing. And this is the first of its kind? Uh, we, we think it's the first of its kind. There are other ETFs that donate part of their revenues. Um, this one 
donates all of it. And then this is the only one that donates to Susan G. Komen. It's the only one that has the ticker pink and the only one that's run by Mike Taylor. So we're very wow. excited. So what else is on tap in terms of launches for this year? Uh, we have a couple more coming out, uh, more concentrated, uh, you know, hedge fund type strategies. So I think, you know, along the lines of providing investor choices and access to, um, you know, things that previously only the super wealthy uh, had access to. And I think that's the coolest part about the ETF vehicle is that it provides access and democratizes exposure. We're in the last, um, you know, the home stretch now for 2022. And I'm sure lots of people will be happy to see the back of 22. Although I guess at the end of last year, I was thinking, wow, I'll be happy to see, see the end of uh, you know, 21, given what was happening with COVID. But this year has been a pretty rough ride. So with that uh, as the backdrop, uh, we're wondering, you know, what will 2023 bring uh, for ETFs? I know it's really hard to, to say what will happen yeah. in markets and you don't have a crystal ball. But what do you think in terms of um, ideas or sectors of the market that you think investors will seek out next year? Well, I think next year is key in that we're going to hopefully see the Fed stop its hiking um, and so when it does that is a big, important uh, catalyst for the market. Although I would say historically, when the Fed stops hiking, it's not been this bullish outcome. It's actually been a horrible outcome. Um, it, that's typically when the bear market takes its sort of deepest sell-off. So I think that's the question mark of how deep the sell-off and when the Fed stops hiking. Um, against that, I think um, you're going to continue to see or we're going to continue to see um, bonds and equities increasingly, you know, be volatile. Um, you're going to see a lot of sort of data driven or just sentiment driven noise in the markets as, as people adjust to higher interest rates, um, slower growth and more volatility. So it's going to be, I mean, it's shaping up to be a pretty, you know, volatile year, um, Mm -hmm. I don't think anything's changed fundamentally. I think we're just going to be longer or deeper into the hiking cycle. We're just going to see more of the lag effects of the Fed hike starting to hit the real economy. Okay. We have a number of questions that have come in from the audience, Paul. So I'm going to pivot now and start uh, posing those questions. And Amira asks, you know, energy ETFs like Drill uh, or XLU have done very well. Do you have better suggestions? Um, just any of the sector ETFs have been pretty attractive. Um, you could also go towards pipelines and infrastructure tied to energy if you want to have that view. But generally speaking, if you back back out, um, it's sort of a molecules versus what it, you know molecules over electrons type of view. So the real world has really lacked investment for uh, almost a decade, and catching up to that and seeing sort of geopolitical you know, uh, impacts of underinvestment and conflict. I think um, producers and commodity producers and energy producers, I think um, they, they'll continue to do well. And it's, it's a mean reversion trade as well. Value has gotten so cheap relative to growth over the past decade that uh, you're seeing that unwind. And we're still very early in that, I think. Mm -hmm. William asks, is it better to invest in the actual ETFs or their options? Uh, depends on your time horizon. If you're a very long-term holder, I think the long-term benefits of owning the underlying 
exposure, whether it's an ETF or stock, with its favorable tax efficiency without paying an option market maker premium. I think that's still the preferred way to go. Now, there are ways to generate additional income or hedge that exposure. You could do covered calls, um, and you could certainly periodically buy you know, protection on that exposure. That's fine, but I think options should never be your core holding. Options can help um, enhance or protect your portfolio, but you want to be mostly in long-term, tax-efficient, low-turnover exposures. Great. Uh, Lawrence would like to know what you consider the proper use of tips in a portfolio. Uh, tips are interesting again. I think they were very um, overpriced coming into this year, but uh, they're, they're pretty attractive now, especially given how high inflation has been. Um, break-evens haven't moved that much. And now that rates have come up again, they're very uh, interesting exposure to have. And certainly relative to nominal bonds, regular treasuries, tips can be interesting again. Um, so I'd say use them as, a, as an alternative to treasuries. If, if, if there's an investment process to figure out the relative value between the two, great. Um, tips as a pure inflation hedge hasn't been a very strong trade. So I, I think it's a relative value trade more than an inflation view trade. Mm -hmm. Alex uh, wants to know, and again, we touched on this slightly earlier, but he's interested or she is interested in income oriented ETFs. Uh, any more thoughts on that? Yeah. And so now there's all sorts of ways to generate income, right? Only again, a year or two ago, equity and dividends were the only game in town, but now you have T-bills yielding 4%. You have investment grade and high yield. And now you could have uh, get, ac get access to option selling strategies, like I mentioned some of ours, covered call strategies that yield you know double digit percent income. So I think it's actually a, a wonderful time uh, to, to th be thinking about income. And if you position uh, in the right places and try to avoid taking on too much credit risk or duration risk, um, you could generate a nice absolute return portfolio that has much less volatility than equities. And again, if, if you sort of stick to the higher credit quality or treasury market, um, it's a great place to hide out uh, of this sort of a next leg down potentially next year. Wonderful. So Steve would love to know your thoughts on leveraged ETFs and why do people say these ETFs are not to be held long-term due to the way they're calculated on a daily basis. So levered ETFs, um, at least the daily rebalancing ones, have a lot of what they call path dependency risk. So if it's trending in one direction for a long time, you end up with fan fantastic returns, right? Because you're compounding and levering up along the way. If you have a choppy market, it's absolutely devastating because you could have a flat underlying market and still lose a lot of money just from the daily rebouncing decaying the returns uh, so choppy sideways markets are very bad and then obviously uh, if you're wrong on the exposure and you're levered it's gonna uh, be a significantly sort of a negative experience so that's sort of like the big picture but they they've worked well when when markets have helped so trending uh, you know equity markets or trending rate markets have been a great place uh, to have that exposure in hindsight. The problem is you need hindsight to confirm that it was a great exposure. That's why we like things like 
trend following or manage future type strategies because it takes away a lot of that sort of path dependency risk and it's a little more diversified and you could go long or short. We have two questions in from Gabriel. Uh, one is any comments on energy-focused ETFs and another is any specific geographic region or country that you think looks attractive, uh, for example, India? I think India is fairly well positioned, um, especially as you see some of the um, some of the manufacturing and investments leaving China and looking for sort of alternative uh, international locations. So India is fairly well positioned. It's a hard market to invest. It's, it's it doesn't have a whole lot of uh, names to invest in. But broadly speaking, I think it's starting to become a better time to look internationally because everyone knows Europe is you know, in massive trouble. Everyone knows the EM is struggling against the dollar and all these things. So it's starting to be fairly attractive. Um, I, I think it's a little early, but at least if you're going to tail into these exposures, it's interesting again um, on a fundamental basis and a relative value to the U.S. basis. Now, Hal asks, how are ETFs better or worse than mutual funds? Um, the primary, I think, benefit of an ETF is that um, they're tax efficient. So if you hold the same equities in a mutual fund or an ETF, the tax deferral of an ETF or lower tax costs of a ETF relative to a mutual fund is a big deal. It compounds. And then ETFs generally offer more choice. And so you could sort of seek out best in class uh, across multiple providers. You could get multiple asset classes versus being, you know, sort of having captive assets with one manager. Um, so I think that's sort of the high level, but transparency, when, whenever there's a market crisis, uh, all of a sudden transparency of figuring out if some fund is you know, holding a name that you don't want, um, that's important. And then just transparency forces discipline. Uh, managers don't tend not to uh, take um, sort of unexpected exposures because ETFs disclose their portfolios every day. It'd, it'd be very obvious someone's doing something so I think all those things are good. Um, and then just recently, all the innovations are in ETFs. So um, instead of being wedded to, you know, blockbuster mutual funds that have 10 years of track record, but look, you know, very much like index funds, um, ETFs offer very, very interesting, innovative ways to get exposures, including alternatives. So we're about to wrap up, but Frank says, you know, please be sure to list the ticker symbols for all the ETFs referenced. So I have a few on my screen, uh, but Paul, if, if I miss any, then just, just jump in. So we mentioned the Simplify Healthcare ETF, and that ticker is PINK, P-I-N-K. We also talked about the Simplify Bitcoin Strategy Plus Income ETF, and that is MAXI, M-A-X-I. And then the two early ones that we spoke about uh, on income strategies were the Simplify Stable Income ETF, ticker BUCK, B-U-C-K, and the Simplify Enhanced Income ETF, and ticker HIGH, H-I-G-H. And then um, one more, CTA, mm -hmm. the Simplify Managed Future Strategy. Um, Great. Well, I think, unfortunately, we are out of time, uh, Paul. It's been wonderful chatting. Sorry about the technical issues that you had earlier on. That's, but, that's uh, my fault. So thank you for right. bearing with it, that. It was a great conversation. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope that you all can join us again tomorrow for a show that's going to focus on the Qatar World Cup. 
Jim Andrews, a branding expert and founder and CEO of AMARC Partnership Strategies. We'll talk with MarketWatch financial columnist James Rogers about the challenges that the controversial World Cup is raising for the tournament sponsors and how this could impact future sporting events. Until next time, thank you for listening. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.